This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. P is something you could probably solve, but there's other issues. Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watch season five, episode 12, both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, Come Home. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Checkpoint. Couple things. This was the episode that we watched for our Patreon livestream watch party. That's right. That was really fun. Thank you to everyone who came. Yeah, it was really nice. The comments were really fun, and uh, I had a good time. And no one was weird and spoilery, so it was great. No one was weird? (laughs) No one was spoilery. Yeah, there's potential for it to get spoilery, but everyone was... Everyone's so concerned about us getting spoilers. It's so nice. I love it. Yeah. People, like, monitor our comment sections and yell at people when they get spoilery. That's nice of them. It is nice. Yeah, we'll, we'll do something like that again for sure. It was fun to watch with everybody. Very lively chat. Yeah. Tune in next time. It's going to be fun. But don't forget, through the end of June, our Patreon is currently 15% off if you sign up for an annual membership. So if you're thinking about signing up, now's the time. Mm -hmm. Comes with monthly outtakes and weekly video recaps of Angel. Just a general good time with your old pals, Brian and Stacey. Come on down. I don't know why down. Just come on down. We live in a sewer. Mm -hmm. We learned it from watching Buffy and Angel. You guys may hear some rain slash thunder. It's kind of a stormy night out there right now. Yeah. I like it. The other night, there was kind of rainy, and we had all the windows open. It was so good to sleep like that. I know. It's so nice. So don't let that freak you out. It's not storming where you are, just here. Well, we don't know that. It may be storming where you are, but... That's true, but that's not our fault. Yeah. I'm sorry that that coincidence is happening to you, unless you enjoy the rain, and then great. Speaking of our fans, we got a couple five-star views. Yes, we did. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. They're so nice. Thank you so much to Wait For It 143 and Lori in Iowa City. We really appreciate it, guys. We had another scammer. Yeah, Brian wasn't home. I was very nice to the man, but I ran out of lies. <laughs> what did you tell him? You told him that, like, the man of the house wasn't home or something? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> he asked if I was the one in charge of the, the home, and I am. My name's on the lease, and yeah, I pay you the are. energy bill. But Well, you're not my energy bill sugar mama, just to be clear. I pay some things that you don't pay. Yes, Brian pays me. My name is just on the bill. Yeah. Brian pays the internet and everything. We're good, guys. Don't worry about our financial fights. If you want to be my sugar mama, I'm fine with that too. No, but he asked if I had the energy bill, a physical copy. I was like, no, it's in an email. He's like, oh, can you pull it up on your phone? I was like, oh, my boyfriend actually gets it. He's not home. He's at work. He's like, well, when does he get home? Can I come at a better time? I'm like, oh, he gets home late, like 8 o'clock, knowing this guy's not going to come at 8 p.m. And then he was like out of ways to scam me. And he's like, can, can you take a picture of this pamphlet I have to show him? I'm like, I, no, I don't want to do that. So eventually I was just like, we're good. Because his lies were starting to not make sense. Like the reason he had for me to show him my shit was like getting a little hazy. So I think they always ask to see your energy bills. So I think what we're going to do is like have some printouts ready to go for when they come of all the shit online that says they're scammers and hand that to them. The Reddit posts that explain that these are scams. Just show them like as if that's the bill. Yeah. Just pretend like this is the bill. I don't know. They sent me this. And then when they're like, this isn't the bill, but just totally like 100% commit. Like, no, this is the bill. Our door will be full of dicks. (laughs) 
<laughs> if someone skipped an episode, they're like, what are you full of dicks? What? Somebody, I yelled at a scammer once and they drew a dick on our door. Yes, it's a whole saga. Mm-hmm. All right, should we dive in? Yeah, let's do it. Now that we've talked about dick doors, it's time to dive in. Okay, this week we started with Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us about Come Home. Okay, so this episode is about reconciliation between Emily and Richard. And also, um, I mean, that's mainly what it's about. It's also about Lane. I mean, there's a, it's about there's Lane a lot going and on. Lot. Yeah, there's a, kind of a lot of smaller stories happening at the same time. This episode is famously one that, I don't know if it's famously, but I, fun fact, all the main cast members are in it. That doesn't often happen. Usually, like, Lane's not in it, or Suki's not in it, or Emily's not in it, but everyone's got a story in this episode. Yeah, there's a lot going on. But I would say the main story is the reconciliation between Emily and Richard. So this episode starts with Lorelai sleeping over at Luke's. She is once again wearing his shirt. She wears the same shirt every time she's over there. Please wash it. Maybe he washes it every night. I don't know. He probably doesn't have a lot of shirts. Sure. She could bring her own night clothes. Yeah. Well, she only recently got a shelf. (laughs) Yes, you're right. He built her a shelf in the bathroom for her toothpaste because he was accidentally using hers and hated it because it's cinnamon and toothpaste shouldn't be cinnamon, I guess. It should be regular striped flavor. Yeah. When is, is there an episode from now on where Luke isn't building her something? It's like as soon as they start dating, he's like, all right, I'm building you something every episode. Her love language is acts of service, I think. His is her wearing short dresses, apparently. <laughs> he brings that up a lot. Like, I'll do whatever for that dress, baby girl. I mean, he finds her attractive. She is an attractive woman. Yeah, and he is in his jammies. Yeah. Well, she's over this night, and it's sort of a big deal because Luke has to wake up early the next day for work stuff, and she usually doesn't spend the night on those days because it's hard for her to go to sleep at night. But she wants to do it because she wants to spend the night with him. So she's going to go to bed early, even though someone like her who drinks coffee 24-7, it's, it's a crazy idea. And obviously, as soon as he goes to bed, she does not go to sleep. She's all like, why don't you have a TV to watch in bed? And Luke's like, because having a TV on while you sleep messes with your RAM, which is true, by the way. When she says that, I'm like, girl, if you wanted a bed TV, you should have stayed in your last relationship. Jason had like a retractable plasma bed TV. You were set. I couldn't sleep with your boyfriend, but if you wanted a TV, that was the place to be. Yeah, and he had money. He could have bought you a shirt to wear to bed. Like whatever you needed, Jason could have done it for you. One of Luke's if you want. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously, I'm happier that she's with Luke. This reminds me a lot of our early days in a relationship where our sleep schedules were different and we had to kind of learn to sleep with each other, like actually sleep with each other. And I would have to go to bed because I had to work very early. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, let's go to bed, turn off the lights. And then you'd be like, cool, let's talk about everything that's ever happened in our lives. We had a lot to catch up on. <laughs> yeah. But eventually Luke goes to sleep and she kind of just sits there like, okay, I'll be quiet. <laughs> Later in the episode, Luke is angry at a stove and Lorelai is able to like walk him through how to fix it and he's on like what he's like totally amazed like how are you able to do that and she's like yeah well while i couldn't sleep i just read through your stove's owner manual this seems pretty funny especially because at the end she's all like yeah i think i'm into this genre now this whole like kitsch lit i thought that was fun yeah it was meanwhile at yale doyle is recovering from a visit from mr huntsberger that's logan's dad uh and he's also a rich newspaper magnate if you didn't know He's very upset that Doyle hasn't been given Logan any stories. At least he hasn't seen any stories with Logan's byline. Doyle is like sweaty and like nervous about the things he said. He's like, I had a joke that didn't go well. He's like very scared of Mr. Huntsberger, mainly because that's like his biggest newspaper connection. And he like doesn't want to say the wrong thing in front of him. And he can be like really pushy and kind of a bully. Later, Logan lets us know that. 
Doyle complains that Logan never actually wants to do the work of writing an article, but admits that when he does do it, his writing is very good. But he only does it when he's like out of parties to go to or he's sick or something. And Doyle says that he recently gave him a story, but he doesn't think he's going to do it. And Rory's like, hey, you know, I have some research from a different story that I think would be helpful to the story you assigned Logan. I could give that stuff to him. So Doyle's all like, great, that's awesome. In this moment right now, Rory, I love you. Which like pisses off Paris that he said he loved Rory. (laughs) She's all like, the moment's over, then stops fanning him and slams the notebook down. So obviously they're still dating, or at least she still has some feelings for him. So Rory meets with Logan at the pub with all of her extensive, extensive color-coordinated notes. I mean, it takes up the whole freaking table. It's like three five-inch piles of paper. She must have needed to bring them in a suitcase. Yeah, and she's and he's flipping through them and the just dense text in every page. I mean, he gives her shit for it. Yeah, he does. He's all like, this is crazy. And she's like, I'm kind of a notes nerd or whatever. She seems kind of nervous uh, talking to Logan. And you pointed out that you think it's because she now knows that he's interested in her because of what Marty said in the last episode. Yeah. It is unclear if she's nervous because she wants to get invited to this party or if she likes him or if it's, well, she it's a little both. She doesn't even know that getting invited is an option yet. Yeah, so it must be that she's just... Got a different attitude around him now that she knows. Yeah, I would say she's even maybe a little flirty with him. And the flirtiness does increase a little bit later, but I think that might be because she wants something from him. Everyone keeps telling her to date him, too. Yeah. Anna and her grandpa. She does get a little wigged when he mentions that maybe she'll meet his dad one day, and then she, like, quickly changes the subject. So I don't know what's... There's just some awkwardness in the air. Rory tells Logan that she heard that his father is throwing a party for a famous New Yorker investigative journalist, Seymour Hirsch. And she's like a huge fan and just like gushes about this guy, how she'd love to meet him. So then Logan heavily implies, but doesn't actually say, that he might invite Rory to go to this party so she can meet him. He says stuff like, oh, he hates these parties, they're super boring, usually he just invites a date so he has someone to talk to. And when she starts talking about how much she likes this guy, he was like, oh, well, maybe this time it won't be so boring. Which heavily, heavily, heavily implies, well, maybe I'll take you and it won't be boring. But he doesn't actually say he's going to take her. The scene also, he like, is giving her shit for her not like being social enough. And then it ends with him offering to hang out with her right now for drinks. So I think she doubly is like, oh, he's into me and we're going to go on a date at this party. You're absolutely right. They hang out there. They have drinks. And then later she calls her mom to be like, hey, can I get out of Friday night dinner? I'm pretty sure I've got something going on. It involves a boy. Lorelai is very interested. And Rory's all like, I'll let you know later all the details. Is it Lorelai's job to get her out of Friday night dinner? Friday night dinners are now Rory's baby. I was just thinking that same thing. Like, if Rory doesn't go, the only reason Lorelai's going is because she wants to be there with Rory. Yeah, Lorelai doesn't have to go. Rory has to go. So I, I don't think it's fair to put this on her mom. She's the one that made them happen. Exactly. I feel like Emily also would be like, why isn't Rory asking? Also, if Emily knew she was going out with the Huntsberger kid, she'd be like, hell yeah, get, take it off. We want right. you to date that boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, please. So later in the episode, Rory and Logan meet up again, and the two seem to be like really hitting it off. They're having drinks again. When we see them, it's like the end of the night. They've been drinking, having a good time. Rory's drinking coffee. I just want to point that out for later. We don't ever actually see her drink in this episode, even though she's acting kind of tipsy. She's got a coffee cup. No, I didn't even realize that. Things are going well. Logan has finished the article. He's returning the notes and says they were helpful and that Doyle is saved because he did the article finally. He's going to have a byline. Then it seems like Logan is about to officially invite Rory to his dad's 
party. He mentions the party. He says he's about to get going and that he's had a really good time with Rory. Rory's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he pauses, he pauses, and then he says, well, have a good weekend. Don't be a stranger. And then pats her on the back and leaves. Oof. Yeah, Rory looks not so happy or thrilled about this. What happened here? It's so interesting, right? Because, like, she's so, like, on the edge of her seat, like, waiting to be asked this thing. He must know this. There's no way he doesn't know. It's just, like, obvious. So I think he's manipulating her. I think he has been giving her so much attention that he kind of wanted her, like, addicted to that attention a bit. Because he's a very popular, influential person. I think he knows 100% what he's doing. He's just like, oh, you like this attention, you love this attention, to, to the point where she's taking it for granted. And then he's dangling this other thing of like, look at this stuff I can give you. And then he takes it away from her to kind of remind her, like, you need to work for this. You don't just get it. Like, we're not dating. I have the power. I think that's what he did. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel two ways. One way is like, ooh, Logan, what a bad boy. <laughs> bad boy? I, like, no, I mean, he's like a manipulative jerk, which is what I expect from him. And the second thing it makes me feel is like, that's great writing the way he like just totally manipulated her. I feel like that was really well done. Um, I'm interested to see if Rory picks up on the fact that this was like an intentional thing he was doing or not. It's possible he doesn't like her and Marty was wrong. Rory's misread signals from guys before. I agree. But like he showed up in a classroom and like did a little play for her. I don't believe that he's not interested in her. Sure. I mean, unless there's some, like, she's all that bet going on. I've never seen she's all that, but I think there's a bet in it. Is that the one with the bet where you turn the girl into a pretty girl? I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. If there's some kind of weird bet like that, maybe there is. I don't know. Also, he does not return all of her notes. He only comes back with two piles. What happened to the third pile? Maybe she had a lot of filler to make it seem there's a lot more going on. Mm, he caught her. Yeah. Or he only took half of them. And he's like, I don't need these other half. But yeah, that back pat on his way out is like, oof. Yeah, when she says have a good weekend back to him, you could just see her being like, wait, what? Maybe Marty put Logan up to this to make her see what it's like to be friend-zoned. Yeah. M Marty paid Logan to do this. <laughs> At the inn, there's a lot going on. Lorelai is giving the inn's first sexual harassment seminar for all of her employees. Michelle seems to think that everyone is ogling him because he's at the gym and everything he has is, like, tight and good. <laughs> he also thinks that somebody is stealing candy bars from some of the non-occupied rooms and thinks that some of the staff are actually having, like, sexual rendezvous in there. Also, the stable boys aren't doing a good job of locking the stables. Apparently, the horse was at reception one day. <laughs> The More than one day, twice. Keeps coming in the inn. <laughs> Later in the episode, the horse is like in the pool or something. <laughs> like, it's in some rando lady's pool. Yeah. We did a TikTok making a joke about this, that the horses were always loose. Yeah. But I did not remember that that was actually something the show made a joke about again. The show is insane when it comes to this horse. That you don't. What is the horse being used for? All it's doing <laughs> is getting out. I don't know. Maybe the horse knows where it needs to be at all times. It's like, someone needs me in reception. I have to go. Yeah, he's trying to help. Yeah. Trying to earn his keep, because they can't afford him. That's yeah, true. By the way, in the sexual harassment scene, Lorelai's wearing this dress. It looks like she made it out of the drapes that they used in the inn. Like, I don't like this dress at all. <laughs> Kirk is at the meeting. He's, like, taking notes. And at some point, Lorelai's like, what, what are you doing here? This is for employees only. And he's like, oh, well, I thought I might want to get into hotel management someday. So I thought this would be a good place for me to learn. And Lorelai's like, okay, well, non-staff members can't just come to these things. He's like, got it, got it. And he writes that down. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, yeah, that's what he's learning and stays for the rest of the meeting and then complains that the food spread at the meeting is very minimal. He's like, there's no like bagels and like, what's going on? This bit is hilarious. Like the rest of the episode, Kirk just keeps showing up to the inn to like shadow various jobs he might want to do someday. <laughs> he shows up later in the kitchen, just working. And Suki's like, I thought you hired him. <laughs> and Lorelai's like, no, I don't. I didn't hire him. He's like, well, I thought I might want to work on a kitchen staff one day. So Lorelai's like, just go home. And he's like, okay, well, can I finish my shift first? It's so funny because like a chef moved out of the way, revealing him after like quite a long scene. Yeah. I just love that line where he's like, well, can I finish my shift at least? It's like, you don't have a, there's no shift, man. Lorelai does eventually figure out what's going on with the rooms when she runs into Jackson on the street, who strangely asks Lorelai to please tell Suki to delegate some of her work because every week she's got these really late shifts and he's like worried about her because she's working too much. And Lorelai's like, I don't know what you're talking about because she doesn't have any late shifts. She like left early tonight before I did. So Lorelai like heads back to the inn where Kirk, by the way, is just working the front desk. She doesn't like yell at him. He's just like, no new messages. She's like, thanks, Kirk. And she goes upstairs. Lo and behold, she finds Suki lying in one of the beds, watching TV and eating candy bars in one of the unused rooms. It seems Suki has sort of become addicted to having one night a week to watch Dark Shadows alone. She didn't want to tell Jackson because he'd be too understanding and like watch Davy and then she'd feel guilty about it. I love that Lorelai's like, oh, men are pigs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lorelai gets her promise to tell Jackson though, and the two of them just spend the night watching Dark Shadows in bed together. I feel like that's kind of silly. Like, how do you still not feel guilty? Now you're lying to your husband. Not only, and he's still watching the child. So I don't really get this line of reasoning, but whatever. I guess because if she were to go home and watch Dark Shadows, she would just be sitting around doing nothing while she sees him watching the baby. This way she can kind of separate it. But yeah, you're right. It's still shitty to lie. She must still feel guilty for lying. And she's creating additional work for the hotel staff to like clean yeah. up after. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's whatever. It's like a silly B storyline. But I remember being like, wait, what now? Huh? It'd be well, one thing if like Jackson wouldn't love this, but like, okay, whatever. So that wraps up that storyline. Everything's going to be fine. No one's having sex in the room, guys. Don't worry. Everything's fine. They were worried. Keon is back this episode. That's Mrs. Kim's new foreign exchange student daughter. Lane has worked out a deal with her where Keon brings her information about Mrs. Kim and maybe some of Lane's old stuff. And Keon gets some diner food, some non-Mrs. Kim approved food. She brings her a Madonna shirt. Lane's like, I was never into them. Keon's like, right. (laughs) (laughs) Very funny that she was like judging her music taste. Yeah. Kian also tells her that Mrs. Kim expects Lane at the Lunar New Year party. And Lane's all like, okay, whatever. Why would I go to that? But we'll find out where that goes. Meanwhile, Zach and Brian are there looking over a bunch of band photos that they took. For $37. That's how much the pictures cost? Yeah, Lane doesn't like the pictures. And she's like, wants to retake them. And Zach's like, $37 doesn't grow on trees. That seems so cheap for a photo shoot. Yeah. Apparently, Brian tried out some, like, wild poses that didn't work, but Lane feels like she looks bad in all of her photos. She's like, yeah, it looks like Buddy Holly, who she says was talented but was unattractive. Brian says that he thinks Buddy Holly was attractive, and then Zach says, dude, don't say every thought out loud. I'm going to go on record right now and say I don't like Zach. Okay. I just, I don't. Like, Zach is a toxic dude. Like, Brian can't say that he thought a famous man was attractive. Like, that's... God forbid Brian say that. I don't know. Like, I'm straight and I can tell when a guy's attractive. And I would prefer if someone wasn't like, you don't need to mention every thought you have. Zach, you always mention what thought you have, no matter who hears it or who it hurts. I feel like there's things Brian says he could maybe say that to, but that didn't seem like the one. I agree. It came across as homophobic. 
Yeah. It wasn't just a, like, oh, Brian, you never stop talking. It's like, oh, Brian, you said something that I don't like because of my masculinity. Anyway, there's other stuff in this episode that makes me not like Zach. We'll get to that. Lane talks to the boys for about like one minute about these photos before some Karen at another table is like, uh, miss, some more coffee, please? Like, take a chill pill, lady. Like, Lane's having an important discussion about her self-image with her toxic boyfriend and her ultra-simp roommate, okay? Just like, chill. I can't remember. Didn't we, like, see her pour that woman coffee, too? Like, not that long ago? Yeah, but also, like, she could have nicely been like, can I get another cup? She's all like, it's been a second since my last sip. I need some more coffee. It's the ham woman. It's the ham. Yeah, probably. The next time we see Lane, she has decided to just stop wearing her glasses. She got contact lenses. She didn't like the way she looks. This is her new look. Zach uh, isn't excited about this decision. He's upset because the glasses made her look smart. And now people are going to have to talk to her for a couple minutes to know that she's smart. He's actually being like a huge ass about it, I feel like. She looks cute. I almost prefer it this way. Yeah, I think she looks good both ways. Yeah, but she doesn't like look bad or like her face is boring without them. She's very pretty. Yeah, but Zach's all like, this is a big thing to spring on a guy. And I'm like, your girlfriend can dress herself any way she wants. If she wants to wear glasses, cool. If she doesn't, cool. The thing you should say to her is like, oh, that's cool. I feel like you look really good in glasses, though. I I think you look hot in glasses. Maybe at some point you could say you prefer her in glasses. But like to be all like, what did you do? I don't know that I like this. Like, it's not about what you like. Yeah. I mean, I guess if he really doesn't like it, maybe take some time to think about it or like give it a day to get used to it. And then exactly nicely be like, hey, babe, I really think you look better in glasses. I find you hotter that way. I had a girlfriend that got a haircut I really did not like. And I did not immediately tell her, like, hey, your hair looks bad. I don't like it. You know, I was, I waited and I broke up with her. So you get Yeah, he never told her. He just dumped her (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I'd rather not have that discussion. It's fine if he prefers it the other way. But she might be feeling insecure about it since it's her first day trying it out. Yeah, and it was clear she was insecure about it. And I feel like a good boyfriend would have been like, hey, babe, you don't need to feel insecure. I feel like you look great with your glasses. Like, don't worry about it. But she's also spent money on the eye exam and the contact lenses, and she did all that without her mother's financial support. So I feel like you could support her in this decision. It's already been made. (laughs) None of that was mentioned in the episode, but you're probably right, yeah. Well, I mean, I know how – you don't just – that's how contact lenses work, so. She might still be on her parents' insurance. I suppose that's true. But it does lead to, like, a very, very funny line. I laughed out loud at this (laughs) Another asshole customer is there, and he just, like, asks Lane, like, excuse me, am I supposed to eat my soup without a spoon? And then Zach says, of course she doesn't think that. She's really smart, okay? She's just not wearing her glasses right now. <laughs> that was that was very funny. I mean, they write him to be dumb. Yeah, I know. But, like, being dumb and being, like, a total asshole are, are different things. Yeah, I hear you. Like, being insensitive because you're dumb, I could see that, sure. But And, and there is some of that in Zach, but... I don't know. It's like the first thing he said wasn't like, oh, why did you want to do this? I I thought you looked pretty. It was just like, well, this is the first time I've dated a smart chick and this like changes things for me. Like, no, it's not about you every second, dude. It really bothered me. I just can't imagine being this unsupportive. At band practice, Mrs. Kim shows up pissed. I love when Mrs. Kim shows up. She's like knocking and Lane doesn't hear her because of the band at first. But someone in the band had mentioned that Zach's E-string was flat, which Mrs. Kim then also mentioned. Yeah. She's like, your Easter egg was flat, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Kim says, like, you need to come to the Korean Lunar New Year party. 
uh, not coming is humiliation. And Lane's all like, humiliation? Like, when you told my boyfriend that the hounds of hell were gonna, like, kill him outside that newspaper stand? And Mrs. Kim's like, oh, that's in the past. Like, fuck you, Mrs. Kim. You can't just be like, oh, this horrible thing I did? Oh, that doesn't count. That's in the past. I've moved on. No, you suck, Mrs. Kim. So Lane is like, all right, you know what? I will go, but only if my boyfriend can come. Mrs. Kim is like, uh, well, he can't come because I don't have enough chairs. And then Lane's like, you sell chairs. You've got like 800 chairs, which I was thinking when she said that, too. I was like, I've seen you sell chairs. They're like a bunch hung up on the walls and stuff, too. Yeah. So this like fight like escalates a little bit. And at some point it ends up with Lane saying, well, I'll just going to bring the whole band. And Mrs. Kim is like, fine, bring them all and then leaves. So she does. Lane shows up to the Christian Korean Lunar New Year party with the whole band. Brian is very excited. He's learned a little bit about Korean New Year's from the internet, including some Korean phrases to say. He mentions that and Gil's like, there's also a lot of pictures of girls with tattoos on motorcycles. You'd think it gets old, but it doesn't. That line was so fucking funny. It's just the way he delivers it. <laughs> like, yeah. You'd think it gets old, but it does not. <laughs> so he definitely funny. made a choice with the delivery. I also just love that idea that, like, Jeff's Gill on the internet, like, whoa, on motorcycles? When Mrs. Kim greets him at the door, she asks, who's the half-boy behind you? Referring to Zach, who she's met before. He says to her, Happy New Year, I guess. He's such a bitch. This is the part that I really didn't like. That seemed, like, too much. Like, you know to be not, like, a baby to this woman you're trying to impress right now. I get that he'd be intimidated, but, like, fake it, dude. Absolutely. Like, I understand being uncomfortable. But, like, not, like, cowering behind your girlfriend. Like, that's so pathetic. Like, he acts like this alpha tough guy all the time. But, honestly, he's a little bitch. I can't think of a better phrase. He's just, like, a complaining little bitch boy. I'm sorry. There's probably some big Zach fans out there. But I just, I I hate that contrast where he acts so alpha and he's so not. He's, like, a man-child. Like, he's incapable of really taking care of himself. Anyway. This whole time at this event is hilarious. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, the band is put at this like kitty table. And at some point, Zach gets up to leave to go to the bathroom. And this little hilarious kid just yells at him. He says, you're not allowed to leave the table. And Zach says, well, nature's calling, kid. And then the kid just yells, well, nature must wait. <laughs> <laughs> Zach's like, yeah, try to keep it down, kiddo. And he's like, sit down until we're done. <laughs> And then Zach just does. Of course he does. Zach just sits down. He's scary. Yeah. So sit down till we're done. (laughs) The kid is so fucking funny. Uh, When dinner finally is over, Gil then asks the kid if he can get up. (laughs) And the kid is like, yes. Mrs. Kim just like declares that they're done eating, even though I don't think they are. (laughs) Yeah. Kian, by the way, is very impressed with Brian's knowledge of Korean culture. And they start to like hit it off. And she's all at some point like, oh, that was too forward. I should just go to my room. And he's like, don't, don't go to your room, hang out. And then for the rest of the night, he's super into the festivities and she's like super into him. She's just like fawning over him the rest of the night. Then, surprisingly, Zach and Mrs. Kim have a bonding moment when Mrs. Kim starts telling Lane that she should be wearing her glasses. She looks so much better in her glasses. And Zach's like, yeah, I know, right? And then they like lock eyes like, what, we're agreeing? Oh my God, we're gonna bond over this? How wonderful. And I understand that, like, the writing here is supposed to tell us that this is, like, cute, I think, or, like, a good thing that they're bonding over this. But I think it's just gross. They're bonding over controlling Lane. 
Yeah, that is a little weird. She starts saying like, oh, even in school, she looked so good in her glasses. I've got some photos if you want to see. And he's like, yeah. And they start like going through like a old scrapbook of her photos. And like, it's messed up. Like, Lane can do whatever the fuck she wants to do with her body. If she doesn't want to wear glasses, you can tell her, hey, I think you look great in glasses. I'd love it if you wore them. But that's it. You don't like start bonding with her mother about like how she should dress for everybody else. I like kind of hated that. Yeah, and we don't really get Lane's response to this in this episode. She kind of looks annoyed that it's happening. But Yeah, and if all the things the Bond and Mrs. Kim over, like, ugh, this is not it. It's not like there's something Lane does that's, like, objectively a bad trait that they're bonding over, you know? Like, she gets mad every time you call her chicken and, like, she gets crazy or something. Like, they could bond over that. That's fine. But it's not okay to bond over, like, I'd rather she look different. I was the first girl to wear my glasses in my class in first grade, too. You look great in glasses, by the way. You also look great without glasses. But how would you, would my mom prefer I look? <laughs> well, we've discussed it extensively. I called her yesterday about it. So I guess Mrs. Kim and Zach are fine. They're best buddies now. I don't know. We'll see. Gil is loving the music, by the way. Yeah, so was Brian. <laughs> they were both super into it. <laughs> they finished the song and Gil's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys rock. I love Gil. He's great. He's great. Now, the main story of this episode, though, is Emily and Richard. They are having their weekly meeting where they hash out their financial situations, their bills, and, like, divide, like, social interactions. Since they're separated, they've been having this meeting where they're like, you can go to these functions, I'll go to these functions. This meeting, though, is a lot less cold than previous meetings. In the last episode, they bonded pretty heavily when a stray dog showed up. By the way, is winter over? That was, like, an episode ago. I guess they wore coats. Yeah, I think there was snow on the patio when Rory and Lorelai come to dinner. Yeah, you're right. And everyone's wearing scarves, remember? You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's got a tiny scarf on in every scene. Yeah. So this meeting seems like a little bit more relaxed. At some point, Richard even compliments Emily's hair. She's going to a hair appointment. He's like, why do you need to do that? I think your hair looks fantastic. She's all like, thank you. And you can tell that Richard cares about her for a couple of reasons. Specifically, at some point he says, oh, do you need more water? And he goes up to get her more water. And I think this is specifically referencing a previous episode where Emily was very upset that Richard did not care about her needs. And she could tell he didn't care because, like, she wanted butter for her role. And when he buttered his role, he did not offer her butter. So she's Mm -hmm. like, he doesn't care about my needs. But here we have an example of him seeing she needs something and going to go get it for her. There's an event that both of them have a reason to go to. It's being organized by Sugar Farthington and honoring Martin Vorman. You remember those names? I wrote them down. Sugar Farthington's such a funny name. Yeah, I do remember Sugar. Sugar's a good friend of hers. And what was the guy's name? Martin. Martin was like a really close business associate. So instead of dividing up who goes to this one, they decide like, what if we just go together? And so the scene ends with like this big like, oh, things are going well between them. Yeah, they like Richard gets like flustered and forgets they already discussed the water heater and like tries to bring it up again. Yeah. But later at a business meeting where Richard and his coworkers are talking about some legal issue they're dealing with, which by the way, I wonder, is this is the legal issue Jason or is it just some random legal issue? Let's say it is. Okay, I want to say it is because they don't mention what the issue is, but as far as we know, Jason is still suing Richard. Seems that way. Right? And Because if, if they're not, if we just dropped that storyline, then I'm annoyed. Because that is the reason Lorelai left Jason, is that he was suing Richard. You think there's some kind of connection between Jason and Richard? <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I don't know why, but I know that that's funny. <laughs> you get so upset. We'll get to that. 
Real quick, we're talking about something from Buffy. Stacey seems to think there's some kind of connection between Ben and Glory. I don't really know what she's talking about. And some people online don't seem to know what she's talking about, but Stacey's upset. Everyone else seems to think it's funny. I guess we'll figure out what this all means later. Apparently I'm all very stoned. I don't know. It's all confusing to me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it sounds like maybe that is Jason suing Richard. And I really hope that's the case because if it's just a drop storyline, I'm going to be pissed because that was a huge plot point. And if it's just like, no, that's done, then that's very lazy, poor writing. Okay. Uh, but anyway, they're having some legal issues. They want to bring in an outside lawyer and they're pitching people. And at some point, Richard pitches Simon McLean. He's great. But then his like business associates are like, oh, you don't really want to work with him, right? Not after that thing with Emily. And then Richard pretends to know what they're talking about and then suggests someone else. But you can tell there's like a hiccup. And I feel like it's actually a pretty good job on the actor here to showing the audience that for a split second he has like some emotional issue there. Just kind of like, wait, what's going on with him? But then he like quickly hides it from his coworkers. I thought that was well done. Yeah, yeah, he's great. But he figures it out. I don't know if he asks around or uses his computer somehow, but he finds out that she went on a date with Simon. Oh, yeah, he must ask around because they don't say, do they? Yeah, it's possible he has like a secretary ask. We don't see, but he finds out off screen. So when Richard and Emily meet up to go to this event, Richard acts a little cold. Like Emily like is in a good mood. She even compliments Richard's clothes. She's in good spirits, but Richard's not. Yeah, Emily's like, see you there. And Richard's like, seems inevitable, doesn't it? Like, whoa, you were just all up on her hairdo, dude. <laughs> Emily arrives first, and while she's waiting for the valet, Simon sees her and, like, comes over and starts talking to her. Uh, and that's just too much for Richard, because then Richard fucking crashes his car into Emily's. Yeah. It's not like a crazy crash. You know, it's like a wreck. It's sort of like a hard bump. Like, he rear-ends her. Yeah. And he's all like, oh, I'm sorry, I got distracted, I misjudged the distance. Then when Simon asks if she's okay, Richard says, I'm her husband, I'll ask if she's okay. She says she's fine, and then Richard says, see, Simon, she's fine, now go away. <laughs> He's, like, very forceful to Simon. Simon says that, okay, well, I'll call you tomorrow, Emily, to see how you're feeling. And Richard, then, like, gets in his face and says, she'll be fine. Do you hear me, Simon? Don't call. It's a lot. I love that he keeps insisting she's fine, but then he's like, we have to go home. You can't go to a party. You were just in an accident. Yeah, I know. It's like, there's an accident, you have to leave. I'm kind of confused why they're driving separately to this event. Yeah, we don't know what their relationship to the public is. Because it seemed like for a long time they were trying to hide it from the public. Only Lorelai and Rory knew that they were separated. Right. But now, if Emily was like going on a date, clearly people heard about that. So people must know that they were separated. So yeah. I guess now that people just know that they're separated? Yeah. And that's I'm, why they were going separately? I'm guessing. But if... It's confusing. Maybe they're not admitting to themselves yet that they're getting closer, so that's why they're keeping up appearances to themselves and driving separately? Yeah, I don't know. It's so weird, because exactly what you said, they, for the longest time, were hiding this. And if they're, if they're still hiding it, then they should drive together. Like, they were going to events together before to keep yeah. up appearances. Yeah. But also, like, if they're going to the event together, even if they're not together, why not ride? Take the same, yeah. That's what I mean, like. They're like, we're fighting. We don't do anything in the same room. Why would we take the same car? But you're right. Yeah, I don't I don't really buy that. Because we could have had a Simon confrontation at the party without a car crash. Right. And also just like until this moment, as far as Emily knew, like Richard and Emily were on good, getting on better terms and like could definitely ride in a car together civilly. I guess if they had the confrontation at the party, they'd have to like show the party. Well, when they're in the car, though, Richard, you know, she's all like, what the hell's wrong with you? What's going on? And then Richard just blurts out, I know you dated him. She says, well, we just had dinner. Nothing happened. And then Richard says, I told you that nothing happened between me and Penelope and Lot. 
you didn't believe that. But, like, that's not really a fair comparison, Richard. Like, Emily went on a date while you were separated. She never lied to you about seeing him. And if you're separated, then, like, the implication is that you might see somebody else. I guess it depends what the terms of their separation were, but it didn't seem like she thought he needed to know. Yeah. But Richard, on the other hand, intentionally kept to himself that he was having clandestine meetings with his ex-fiance every year. It's not really the same thing. For, like, decades. Yeah. That's 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 different than, like, I went on one date with a guy while we were separated. That's very different than, like, hey, this woman I almost married and my whole family wanted me to marry. We've been meeting secretly for dinner. It's no big deal. I promise everything's fine. Like, a yeah, woman totally. I've probably had sex with, you know? Yeah. It's like, well, then there's some implication that you might have sex with her again, I feel like. There's, like, a comfort there. It's different than, like, a first date. When they get home, though, Richard seems to have calmed down and seems a bit regretful. Danny asks to make sure, you you feeling all right? And she's like, yeah. And then he starts to go home, and he stops, and he just says, like, I don't want to go back to the pool house. And then Emily says, come home. And so he does. It's great. I mean, all it took was him crashing his car into hers. That's crazy. He acted like a giant, angry, silverback gorilla. But she misses him. They miss each other. Yeah. He doesn't want to go back to the pool. That was so sweet. Yeah. So Friday night dinner rolls around. Rory's unexpectedly free, so she's showing up. But Grandpa isn't in the pool house. They see him kissing Emily through the window. It's pretty funny. Like, Lorelai's all like, what's happening? They're cheating on each other with each other. They're having an affair. Yeah, like, don't look. Rich and Emily tell the girls, like, we're getting back together, we're celebrating our reunion. And Richard even says, like, yeah, we celebrated last night and this morning. And it's clearly about sex, which I was like, why would you say that to your daughter and granddaughter? That's fucking weird, man. Can't not. It's on the top of his tongue. I guess I maybe might say that to a guy friend, maybe. Like, honestly, that's just not who I am. But, like, maybe if a guy was like, so things are good. I'm like, yeah, we celebrated last night and this morning. Okay, sure. But to tell your daughter and granddaughter, like, yeah, we had a bunch of sex. That's weird, man. It is funny, but it did seem out of character. Emily, too, was like, what? Don't tell them that. (laughs) He just wants people to know. He's very masculine in this episode. Yeah. When they tell them they're celebrating, they hand them all champagne. And this is why I brought up already drinking earlier. She gets one hand to her. Usually they don't offer her alcohol, but she Mm. immediately sets it on the table. Hmm. It's just weird, her relationship with alcohol, because, like, she does occasionally drink at this point. She says she doesn't drink a lot. Right, which I think is true, probably. It's just interesting that the actress was like, nope, I won't be drinking that because I'm at my grandparents' house. Yeah, I mean, it's especially interesting since the grandparents gave it to her. Mm-hmm. Because she's 20 and a half at this point. Yeah, I feel like, and they drink so much that the idea that, I, I kind of don't believe that they wouldn't give her drinks. Right, I mean, maybe she's like, I gotta work on paper stuff later or something. Sure, I feel like you can have a drink, though, and work on paper yeah. stuff later. Yeah. I mean, unless it's a funky monkey, that might be a little strong. They are so happy with their new reunion that they're going to celebrate by renewing their wedding vows. Emily wants Lorelai to be her maid of honor, and Richard wants Rory to be his best man. Rory is super excited about this. Lorelai's also excited, but Rory is just like over the moon that they're back together. She's been like pushing for this the whole season. Richard mentions that he's going to fire Robert next week, but Robert's like definitely in the room still when Richard says that. Yeah, he's never been that big of a fan of Robert. Emily takes Lorelai upstairs where she has about a thousand potential wedding dresses waiting that she's going to try on with the help of Celine. Remember Celine? Alex Borstein. Yeah, Alex Borstein in a crazy amount of makeup. I love when she dragged Lorelai upstairs. She's like, why are we going upstairs? She wouldn't tell her. Yeah. She's like, kept freaking out why they were going up. There's so many wedding dresses in this. It's crazy. 
Celine, by the way, is always super funny. She drops all these famous names all the time. One of the things she says is that she told Arthur Miller's fiance to wear a flat hat at her wedding to make her look like a book to like get Arthur Miller's attention, I guess. But she didn't wear the hat, so we all know how that turned out. That's pretty funny. In the scene, though, Emily kind of brags about Lorelai to Miss Celine, but she's running it in now. Yeah, she does. I mean, I think they are impressed with the fact that she's got this in. At some point, Emily goes to, like, go put on a wedding dress. And while she's gone, Celine pulls out these things that are, like, I don't know what they're called, but they're, like, breast enhancers, bra inserts. We call them, like, chicken cutlets, I think. That's not really what yeah, they are. Yeah, they but. look like chicken breasts. that You use them to fill out your dresses. I tried Googling what this was, but I ended up just spending hours oh. looking at these tattooed women on motorcycles. <laughs> I thought you were just going to say breasts. <laughs> no, no. Well, those were there, but um, just there's so many, and it doesn't get you old. You Googled fake breasts? <laughs> Yeah. And also tattooed women on motorcycles. Anyway, Celine grabs the inserts and then just like yells to Emily, Emily, do you need breasts or are you fine for the moment? Oh, you're sufficing for the moment? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Sufficing. And Emily's like, I'm fine. Uh, and she hands the the inserts to Lorelai who like holds them like dirty rags. She doesn't want to touch them. My friend Rachel had these. Our friend Rachel had these for some reason one time and showed them to us. And I remember being like, these are so fucking weird. They do just look like raw chicken breasts. That's all boobs are, baby. Oh, wow. Well, I knew they were breasts. Emily really respects Celine, and she comes out with some outfit, and Celine's all like, nope, it's terrible. It, it was bad. Yeah, it was. But the scene ends with a shot of Lorelai looking in the mirror and holding up a dress to herself. And I feel like this is referencing something. If you guys remember, she was going to get married to Max Medina. Remember that plot point? The night of her bachelorette party, Emily tells her the story about her trying on a wedding dress because she was just so excited to get married to Richard. And Lorelai ends it with Max because she has this realization that she's not the I want to try a dress on every night excited. But she's now in this relationship with Luke that's going really well and she's looking at herself in a mirror. And Celine says, like, are you married? And she's like, oh, no, not yet. And I feel like maybe she's having thoughts about marriage with Luke. I don't know. And Emily sees this. She does. That night, back at Luke's. Back in the shirt. Back in Luke's shirt. Same one. Lorelai convinces a reluctant Luke to come to the vow renewal. They're sleeping on different sides of the bed, which is crazy. It's crazy to me, but Lorelai's kooky, you know? No, did you, we talked about this at the watch party. Yeah. You were there, but everyone, please confirm that this is a ridiculous thing. Couples don't switch sides of the bed. Yeah, maybe they were role-playing someone who sleeps on the other side of the bed. I don't know. We have switched sides if we rearrange the furniture. We'll pick a side once the room is rearranged. And that is our new side for eternity. Forever. Until the the room changes. If you die, I'm still going to I'm gonna sleep more in the middle of the bed, but I'm still going to be near that side. Oh, Brian. Did you just die? No, it just it's sweet. But she convinces him to come. He's like, well, they don't like me. And she's like, no, they just don't know you. And this will be a great opportunity for them to know you. They're going to be in good spirits. They're going to be drinking. By the end of the night, I bet they'll think you're better than me. Too good for me, probably. He's like, all right, I'll go, I'll go. Then she notices that Luke got her a TV for the bedroom. And she's all like, you got me a TV. What about your REM sleep? He's like, oh, I'll just sleep through it. And like, I fall asleep easy. And I don't want to deprive you of your shows when you come over. And it's sweet. It's like, nice. I do feel like she has it way too loud when he tries to sleep, but... It's nice. Luke really loves Lorelai, and he sacrifices stuff for her. He tries to do everything he can to accommodate her, and I think it's sweet. You said that you don't remember him doing all these sweet things, but I feel like almost every episode has him doing something pretty sweet for her. No, what I said is that I don't remember the later seasons that much. So mm -hmm. I literally don't remember these scenes. Okay. 
but I was often confused why people ship Luke so much based on the earlier episodes because he was so gruff and yeah. I had a hard time seeing them being good together because they have such different philosophies of life. Yeah. But it does seem to be working. I, I feel like I felt that way, too, in the beginning of the show. I was like, there's clearly, like, love going on here. Under There's an undercurrent here of it, but like, I, I don't know that they would work together. But I feel like Luke's, like, constant trying to do stuff for her lets us know that he loves her. And like almost shows that he loves her more because it's like his acts of love stand in such contrast to his, like, normal behavior and, like, personality that it, like, really shines through that, like, he cares about her. Like, he's doing whatever he can despite his own personality to, like, make her happy. So I like that a lot. But your comments are making me worried about the future, even though I know they're going to break up. There's just no way this show's not going to do it. Anyway, especially after this last scene, Emily shows up at Christopher's. Unexpectedly, she just shows up. She comes in and immediately shits on Gigi. I know. So this is the child? This is the child. Like, yes, this is Baby Yoda. That's like, <laughs> someone calls it the child, that's what we're talking about. She just is like, well, let's get to the point. I saw you grow up. I thought you were always charming, but weak. I don't think very much of you, but you have good breeding and you love Lorelai. And I know you would have married Lorelai if Sherry hadn't gotten pregnant with this. And then she just points <laughs> to Gigi. She just this. Ow, wow. Emily goes on to say, like, my daughter is capable of great things, but she's stubborn. And I think that her current boyfriend, Luke, is going to hold her back because he's, like, not good enough for her for some... I don't know exactly how he's holding her back, but he's not good enough for her, I guess. He's uneducated. Owns a diner. He's a divorcee. Yeah, he's just going to hold her back. She says, and things are getting really serious with Luke, probably because she saw Lorelai with the wedding dress. So if Chris ever wants a shot at Lorelai, he better do it now before it's too late. Then she leaves an invitation to their vow renewal and just leaves. She does say, goodbye, Gigi. Enjoy your program. <laughs> She's watching television. Television, yeah. She doesn't know that Christopher wasn't watching that. Christopher was watching it. <laughs> Powerful, crazy scene. Oh, my God. Emily, you villain. Yeah, she's got her life together. She's back to being the villain. Yeah, this show does this shit where it's like, oh, no, we should feel bad for Emily. Well, now that we fixed her, let's have her ruin the rest of the characters' lives. What is with this season and, like, very short Christopher visits at the end of episodes? It's only been two. I know, but that's a lot. One was a lot. Like, Rory showed up and was like, don't see mom. Later. Now <laughs> Emily's all like, see my daughter. Adios. Your baby's a freak. Like, what is... <laughs> a lot of opinions about whether or not Lorelai should be seeing Christopher. I don't know if they were like, hey, guys, we have literally an hour to film in Christopher's apartment, so we got to shoot a bunch of scenes there. They got to be quick meetings. In and out. Luke's divorcee credit seems like, I don't know. Do you even need to put that on his resume? It's not like they were living together, even. Doesn't Christopher's, like, having a child with a woman he was going to marry and then she abandoned them seem like a lot more baggage than, like, Luke's nothing marriage? Yeah. Whatever. And Christopher, like, just got his life together. Well, she admits she doesn't like him. It's all about his... His breeding. What rich the fuck white does family. That mean? That's just, like, gross. Ugh. Yeah. It's just, like, racism, honestly. And... Classism. Classism, Yeah. Luke has had his life together for a long time, and Luke has money. I don't know how much, but, like, a couple times they've suggested that Luke has— I mean, he loaned Lorelai a ton of money for the inn. I know Emily doesn't know that, but whatever. This scene's crazy. Emily doesn't even know Luke at all. Oof, Emily, so evil. I do think it's a little crazy that Gilmore has had a couple of these, like, real quick twist endings. There was also one where, in Tick, Tick, Boom— it's like a really quick twist ending. It's just like you never know what's going to happen in Gilmore until the last like minute and a half. It's great. 
It is great. It's great TV. I cannot wait for the next episode. You can just tell it's going to be fucking crazy. So, Stacey, do you think this is a good episode? Yeah, I do. It's very good. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. The scene with Kirk in the kitchen was so funny. Michelle comes in, like, giving more information about what's going on in the rooms upstairs. And then Laura, like, gets the call from Rory. But then it goes back to the Michelle thing, saying that he, like, asked the employee that he suspected yeah. of having sex upstairs if he was seeing anyone, which that guy took to mean as sexual harassment. Meanwhile, Lorelai has kicked Kirk out, but as Michelle comes down and passes on this information, Michelle leaves and Kirk follows him. He's like, I'll get him. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's taking on a new job of like being In the bouncer, bouncer for Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> that scene was just like boom, 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 boom. And yeah. so many of the scenes in this episode are. Yeah, I feel like some of the emotional stuff is a bit whatever. Like Suki's storyline is kind of like whatever. Yeah. And Lane's Lane's storyline is interesting and very funny, but I, I did hate the Zach stuff. But, like, maybe we're supposed to. I don't know. That's true. Like, the actual content of that is gross, like you said, but those scenes were so good. That boy is so funny. Gil and Brian were so funny. In yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Keon was funny. Yeah. It's a really funny episode. When Keon is, like, saying that he knows a lot about Korean culture, then she's all like, oh, that was too forward. I should go to my room. Like, because you said he knows a lot about Korean culture. <laughs> yeah. I, I looked at a boy. That's a lot. I have to go. I already feel bad that I had a Monte Cristo sandwich today. I am a sinner. Richard and Emily were pretty funny. Yeah. And it was sweet when they decided to get back together. Yeah, after Richard almost kills his wife, it's uh, pretty sweet. <laughs> Miss Celine was very funny. Yeah. There's a few, like, eh, that's a weird storyline things, but it was funny and had some nice moments. But yeah. that bombshell at the end, oof. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really setting up an exciting episode for you, Brian. Totally. I'm excited to watch the next one. It's the 100th episode, right? Yes, the next episode is the 100th episode. I'm excited. Also, real quick, the Logan stuff was good. Uh, Not that much, like, happened, but it was a, I liked this, like, manipulation thing. Not liked it, like, I like manipulation. You know I like to manipulate you, but uh, Mm -hmm. I just meant it was like, oh, this is, like, some cool character stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you at least find the character of Logan interesting. Because I think what he does for Rory's character is interesting. Mm -hmm. If we end up not liking it, I think it's at least interesting. Which brings us to another thing we like to talk about. And now for a special segment we like to call... Meanwhile, Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 5, Episode 12, Centennial Charmed... 100th episode... In his twisted attempt to win Phoebe's heart back, Cold casts a spell that alters reality, which eliminates Paige as a Hallowell and destroys the power of three. All right, so Cole's just gone dark at this point. Yeah, Cole's fully dark. He's not coming back. He's previously tried to turn Paige into a mummy or something, just throw her under the bus. So this is no surprise that he's trying to eliminate her as a Hallowell altogether. Yeah. And then he used eminent domain to build a highway through their apartment to get to the Nexus. Yep. Yeah, I think I think he's no good. Yeah. We thought he was going to be good, but I mean, you always were like, is he? He was a demon. Can a demon really be a good boy? Angel? I don't know. So he changes reality. And in this reality, they don't have another sister. Because Paige is really one that was bad-mouthing him all the time. Yeah, she never really trusted him. Yeah, so Paige never showed up. But in this reality, Prue's not back, so there's no power of three. It's just power of two, which isn't any power. Yeah. And things are good, man. Like, they're working at their nightclub, P2. (laughs) It's nice. He likes it. But then this, like, little bitty baby demon starts, like, terrorizing the town. It's really not a big deal. It's like a little nobody demon. 
but the girls don't have powers. And it really messes up P2. And everyone's sad. And Cole realizes that the girls are sad. They feel unfulfilled. And he's like, I don't want Phoebe to be sad. I'm evil, but like I have a soft spot for her, kind of like Spike and Buffy. So he changes stuff back. Yeah, and then he like explains all this. He's like, Phoebe, I did all this bad stuff, but then I changed it back. That makes me good, right? You you have my heart again? Oh, hey, Paige, you're back. I, uh, yeah, I made you disappear for reality for a while. Yeah, sorry. I've been kind of trying to get rid of you for a few episodes now. But you're alive now, so that's cool, right? And Phoebe's just like, no, what? You've been not good. Divorce. And obviously, Cole doesn't like the D word. No. So he's upset and he's like, well, maybe I'll change it back. And you're like, oh, so maybe you are like a douche. Yeah, he like keeps threatening to change it to make it work the way he wants because he thinks this will get Phoebe back. I'm on good terms. But then the three come together, the power of three whole again, and do like a spell to keep Cole from coming in the house. Oh, like a disinvitation spell? Mm-hmm. So he can't use his highway to get to the Nexus? Yeah. Man, that's rough. It's still there. The highway to the Nexus is still there, but he can't use it. It's a sad ending. I mean, for Cole, but it and Phoebe is sad because, I mean, that was like her husband and now he's right, a yeah. total douche. So she's sad and all the sisters like comfort her and they watch their favorite show, which is Felicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Cole's, Cole's out. It's so sad. Honestly, ever since Cole stopped wearing glasses, I was kind of like, ugh. Mm-hmm. I'll go put them glasses on. Well, this has been Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed. As you all know, we love watching TV together, often late at night, which a lot of times turns into late night snacks, which in our house is often a bowl of cereal or two. But we do try to keep things healthy around here when we can, so we're thrilled to have this episode sponsored by Magic Spoon, a healthy cereal that tastes just like the stuff we ate when we were kids. That's right. We tried Magic Spoon's variety pack, which includes four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. And only 140 calories a serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. That's right, a cereal that's good for you with a bunch of nostalgic flavors to choose from. My favorite was the fruity. Yeah, I like the frosted one, too. Mm-hmm. So go to magicspoon.com gilmoreslayer to buy healthy versions of your favorite childhood cereals today. And be sure to use our promo code GILMORESLAYER to save $5 off your first order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash GILMORESLAYER. Thanks, Magic Spoon. We also watched Buffy. A lot of information in this one. Stacy, could you please tell us about Checkpoint? So this episode is about the council coming to Sunnydale to... Test Buffy to see if she's worthy of the information they allegedly have about Glory. And Glory's working on some stuff, too. Glory's working on some stuff? Yeah, she's got some things to do. So Giles has called a meeting at Buffy's house to share that the Watchers Council potentially has some information about Glory. They'll find out for sure when they arrive. Buffy really doesn't want them to come, though. She doesn't trust them. They've pretty much tried to kill her in the past. And they fired Giles. She famously quit working for them. All kinds of past baggage. So she's not excited for them to come. And then Buffy almost lets it slip that Dawn something more special than just a regular old kid sis she's got to take care of. Because mm-hmm. at this point, remember, only Giles and Joyce know that. 
But at the end of the last episode, Dawn was creeping on the stairs when Buffy, Giles, and Joyce were loudly talking about her. So now she's like, I'm going to creep on the stairs again. Maybe I'll get more information. That's like her superpower. Like all the Scoobies except for Xander have a superpower. Dawn's is like creepy listening. I mean, I'd be curious. Yeah. Joyce comes down and catches her. makes her go back to bed. Buffy freaks out that Dawn might have heard something. And her friends are all like, Buffy, chill. You're being weird about Dawn. It seems like at this point they should maybe just tell everyone about her. I don't know. I I get why they're not, because people would act weird to her. But at this point, Buffy's acting more weird than, like, Willow would be about it. Yeah. Xander's hand is broken, which I love. Because it was broken in the previous episode. Yeah. Just because you hate him. Right. A troll very much broke it last week, and they're not always great about injury continuity. Mm Mm-hmm. Giles hears Buffy's concerns about the council, but thinks they're a bit lost as far as what they're dealing with with Glory and is willing to hear the council out. However, Glory's not doing so great herself. She looks weak or sick. She's very pale. Her makeup's gone. But luckily, two of her minions bring her a mailman to feed on. She seems to somehow feed off the energy of portly middle-aged blue-collar workers. (laughs) She sticks her hands in their brains, gets all glowy, and then she's all better. And the dudes are not. This makes them incoherent, and then they're not really her problem anymore. They go babbling out to the street. I think these minions are two different actors than the other minion. This must just be some whole race of creatures that follows her. Yeah, I don't know if we ever know. One was named Dreg, and I think she calls one of these Jinx. Yeah. I don't know if Maggie Walsh got that other guy apart. No, it it is Dreg. She calls one Jinx in this one. One's Dragon, one's Jinx. Hmm. Okay. Well, Jinx is more featured in this episode. The new one informs her that the signs of the alignment are moving faster than expected, meaning if she wants to use the key, she's got to act quickly. Glory's like, no problem. I'm sure Buffy knows about the key. Just let me talk to her. We'll get it taken care of, MBD. The council has spontaneously arrived at the magic shop. Quentin, old buddy Quentin, has brought a whole stack of watchers, women in the back, of course. The stack of watchers. <laughs> it's just they're all like lined up. <laughs> it's a bit awkward at first. Giles seems a bit defensive, like that this is his work now. Like they're being kind of judgy that he's like a magic dealer. And Quentin's given him some shade for selling dangerous items to random people. I mean, to be fair, he did do that to Glory. He like sold a bunch of super dangerous shit to her. I know. He like says he's being careful, but he does not bring up the fact that he literally sold a snake to Glory. And then one of the council people just announces to all the customers that they're closing. Do they have this power? They can't just tell Giles his store's closed? Well, they don't, except that they have blackmail power over Giles. Right. Quentin insists that this is just for the duration of the council's review. I was like, council, I'll be in the back. Me, a regular human with a very boring human backstory. <laughs> leaving the room. Giles is like, what now? Review? No one told me about this. And then all the watchers kind of form a circle around the table in the back. And Giles is like, you guys just all stand around and look somber. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Quentin informs Giles that they have vital yet disturbing information about Glory, but they won't share it until they're convinced Giles and Buffy are prepared for it, until they observe her methods so that they know the information will be safe. And Giles is like, you can trust her. She's been training all kinds lately. She's very focused. Cut to Buffy, nearly falling asleep in class. Yeah. But she tunes back in when the lesson seems relevant to her life, and she just, like, stands up and challenges the professor. It's a history class. He's talking about Rasputin and, like, 
how he was killed, but Buffy seems to maybe be suggesting that some of these evil figures from history were demons? I think that's what she's getting at. Well, I think that's what she's getting at, but I don't think that's the point she's making to the class. I think she's just saying we don't know that he died when the history books say he died because there was like sightings of him later. And I think she's suggesting that like maybe he's not dead, but obviously we know she's maybe suggesting that he was a vampire or a demon. Right. Is that relevant to the season that historical figures are maybe demons? I don't think so. It just seemed like a bit much that she's like suddenly making this point. But the professor's like, wow, class, Buffy's crazy, right? Maybe I should step aside so she could teach her own class. Speculation 101. This is like yeah. crushes. Class loves this. Buffy sits back down per his suggestion. It was just a little weird. I think the teacher was just like, I got to be mean as shit to Buffy because anytime a teacher's nice to Buffy, they die that episode. So I'm going to really turn up the meme. Yeah, he'd heard about high school. Yeah, it's just like, fuck you. We're not friends. I'm coming back next season. But Buffy takes out her frustrations about this on a vampire later, kind of mocking what the teacher said, do the vampire. And even the vampire's like, what is this? Who are you talking to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really funny. Like, what, Who what? do you think I am? Then Spike comes flying in, kills the vampire. Again, just hoping for a little appreciation from Buffy. Buffy's like, what the hell? I was doing that. He's like, oh, I see. You only like it when you're rescued by your boyfriend. What's his height? That was funny. Yeah. Points out that he knows Riley's gone. He also points out that she doesn't seem to be able to keep a man and suggests it might be because she's getting old and ugly or maybe just because she can't keep a guy's interest for whatever reason. She's so annoyed with him. I don't know why she doesn't kill him. Yeah, I mean, they've already set up that, like, since he's helpless, she won't do it. But he's also annoying. Well, you don't kill someone for being annoying. But he's also a demon. Oh, you don't kill someone for being a demon. But he's also not good. She didn't kill Parker. (laughs) He's a human. I totally agree that, I mean, I think we've said it a million times, Spike should be dead because he could be plotting against her any moment, and he's done enough to be killed. But the show has decided that Buffy won't kill a helpless demon. After he walks away, though, you can kind of tell in her face that something he said might have been accurate. She's a little like, maybe I can't keep a man. At the hospital, Ben is accosted by one of Glory's minions, who I guess was just freely walking around the hospital, no questions asked. Yeah, again, maybe it's just like, oh, another burn victim. A lot of those in here. He informs Ben that Buffy is the Slayer and that Glory's looking for information about Buffy. Ben's like, why would I do that? So Glory can hurt her? I've got a message for Glory, too. Turns out Ben's message is beating the shit out of the minion. This was before texting, so you had to do what you had to do. (laughs) That was funny. Glory admits that Ben is attractive, but he makes her so mad. But she accepts that he's not going to help and says she'll find Buffy herself. They never say how she finds Buffy's house, though. Giles is starting to tell the council how great Buffy's been doing with all of her training and stuff. But then Buffy shows up, not realizing the council would be there. She tries to leave, but no, no. They'd love to see a demonstration and talk to all her civvy friends. Quentin explains the deal to her, that they'll give her the information she needs if she passes the review and does stuff the way they say. Giles is like, wait a minute, no, you're not the boss of us. Bubby's like, chill, G-Dog, I got this. <laughs> Just to be clear, she doesn't actually say that. I feel like someone might be like, that's something Joss would have wrote, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes I add stuff. I do wish his name was G-Dog, though. I would call him G-Dog. But then Quentin threatens that if they don't go along with the review, they might just shut down the magic shop and maybe have Giles deported forever. So later, Buffy and Giles are talking this over. Giles confirms that they could indeed have him deported. They're very good at bureaucratic stuff like this. Giles is like, I should have had you beat them all up. And Buffy's like, Quentin's like 60. I can't just hit him. Can I? (laughs) (laughs) 
Buffy seems mostly worried that she's not going to be able to answer their questions, like about Glory, and therefore, you know, she won't pass. They won't get the information they need to protect Dawn. She's freaking out. She also says that they picked the perfect thing to threaten them with, which is her and Giles' relationship. It was so sweet. She says she can't lose him. They're so cute. And then Giles has come home. No, he doesn't. (laughs) He crashes his car into Buffy's. And then we see the review. This involves some physical stuff with Buffy in a minute, but first, Buffy's friends are all being interviewed. Anya's eagerly sharing her fake backstory and that she just loves to hurt demons. Mm-mm-mm. Xander's telling them that he, Willow, and Buffy are OG Scoobies. They've been doing demon stuff together for years. But they sort of make him admit that he has no special powers or knowledge. But he does tell him he was once the hard part of a super Buffy last year when they merged essences. They're like, what? What the fuck? <laughs> it's funny, though, because dude's like, let me get this straight. You're nobody? <laughs> and there's just a woman standing in the background. Like, I'm pretty sure this woman has no lines the entire episode. There's another woman that does have lines. We'll get to her in a second, but not this one. She just stands at the back of the stack. Willow and Tara are being asked about the Slayer and their relationship, meaning their relationship with Buffy, but they take this to mean their relationship. Yeah. They're like, we're girlfriends, lovers, lesbian, gay type lovers. Well, it's funny because at first they're kind of coy about it. They're like, oh, well, we just, you know, we're, we're really good friends. Yeah, but then they're like, maybe we should tell the truth. Well, I feel like they felt bad for lying or like embarrassed that they were embarrassed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then they like double down too hard. They're like, we're lesbian lovers. And dude's like, no, that that's all cool. I just mean like with Buffy. <laughs> and like, oh, oh, just friends with her. They say they help Buffy do magic. He's like, oh, yeah, what level are you at? And they're like, hi. (laughs) Tara confidently says five. He's like, oh, yeah, cool. You're registered as practicing witches then? They lie and say they are? I don't know why they would lie. They could probably check. They even interview Spike at Crosspoint. That was one of those things, too, where it's like, why are they not killing Spike? I I know. You'd think they would be like, okay, I see why Buffy doesn't, but we've got some evil dudes that love killing people. Let's have that happen. Yeah, like with Angel, they wanted to kill Angel, but they at least with Angel, it's like, well, he's got a soul. Right. But like Spike is like, no, you're, you're still just a demon. You just can't kill anyone. They do let a woman interview Spike. They're probably like, if they're going to kill anybody, it should be a woman. We don't want to lose any of the men. Yeah, we don't need her. He tells them that he helps Buffy out for money or sometimes blood. Is that true? Does she let him have blood? Well, Giles gave him blood during season four several times. Yeah, but I think that was like animal blood. Spike specifically says this is from like dying victims. Yeah, you're right. He does say that. And I don't think that she does do that. He might be. In fact, in the last episode, he made a point of not doing that. Yeah. So this might be sort of just some bravado on his part to like make himself seem kind of badass. But he tells them that Buffy's work is maybe slipping because she can't keep a man. Couple more disappointments. She'll be crying on his shoulders soon. It's unclear what his agenda is with this. Is he trying to hurt Buffy? Because he's not doing a good job of helping her. Yeah, I don't know. But the woman is like, really? Is that what you want? I think you'd want to kill her. You love killing slayers. He's like, oh, you've heard of me. She loves Spike. Apparently yeah. <laughs> she wrote her thesis on him and clearly would bone. Like, she's into <laughs> Spike. Yeah. Meanwhile, a blindfolded Buffy's about to do her physical test. They've got a dummy all set up. Giles makes a joke about attacking the dummy, but he means Quentin. That was pretty funny. But Quentin explains that Buffy will be protecting the dummy from Philip, another councilman with an axe, while she listens to Quentin's commands, which will be in Japanese. Which he's like, you should know. Should she? Maybe? Did Kendra? Maybe. Kendra might have. I mean, it seems like... Giles does. But it's one of those things that, like, 
if you can teach her to do the kick, does she need to know the actual name of it? You right. Know what I mean? <laughs> like, is, is the vampire going to be speaking Japanese when he's fighting? Like, why would she need to know the name of the move? I mean, if your whole life is fighting, it's not insane to be like, we're going to teach you these names. But if she can do it, she doesn't need to know what it's called. It's also weird that they're shouting commands at all. Like, I feel like the point of her being blindfolded is she needs to figure it out on her own. Yeah. Whatever. Giles translates, which seems like cheating. Th- this seems dumb. Like, I know they're maybe trying to trip her up with this whole thing, but wh- why even make her do it in Japanese when she's, like, clearly saying she doesn't speak Japanese? I mean, I think it's to embarrass her. Yeah. It's to make her feel small. Buffy's like, fuck it. Just let me fight. She finds Philip with her blindfold on. She stops him, but somehow throws the axe at the dummy, just, like, murdering the dummy and almost killing another dude. Yeah. Quentin's like, enough of this. We'll re-adjourn at seven tonight for the mental portion of the review, if you even have a brain. He doesn't say that, but that's what he says. It's implied, yeah. Buffy goes home to decompress, but that's not going to happen, because Glory's there, just chilling in the living room. She insults her small home and tells her she thinks Buffy knows where the key is, and that's the only reason she's keeping her alive. She points out her slayer strength is not at all impressive or intimidating. Then Dawn walks in. And through intense eye contact and not-so-subtle head nods, Buffy tries to get her to leave, but Glory can tell she's back there. Glory asks Dawn if she knows where the key is. Buffy's like, don't say anything, Dawn. Dawn's like, well, actually, I do know some stuff. That was a pretty good Dawn impression. Was it? Yeah. Oh, thank you. It annoyed me. I was like, that's that's Dawn. <laughs> Buffy convinces Dawn to leave, and Glory's like, wait, I liked her. She was sassy. And I will kill her. I'll kill your mom, I'll kill your friends, I'll make you watch, I'm gonna kill everybody. Just give me the key, okay? Buffy, of course, doesn't tell her. Glory's like, cool, this was your one chance to do this nicely. Next time I'm killing someone you love, and there's nothing you can do about it. Bye! Joyce comes in, she's like, who's that? Buffy's like, we're gonna move. (laughs) Joyce is like, oh my god, I gotta find my conditioner, I got no idea where it is. (laughs) This scene is awesome, right? I mean, this scene is so good, because... Like, this episode isn't, like, super heavy on Glory. And then, I don't know, like, usually Buffy finds Glory doing something, but Glory just fucking shows up at her house in the middle of the day. Yeah, and there's nothing Buffy can do about it. She's not a vampire. She can't lock her out with a spell. Exactly. She can't lock her out. The time of day does not matter. And also, Buffy can't fight her. It's like, yeah, this woman could just literally come in and kill anybody, and there's nothing Buffy could do about it. She still seems to have no idea that it's Dawn. But she's also just threatened to kill Dawn, so that's not good. Yeah, so I feel like this scene is just so good just to let you know, like, Glory's, you can't really fuck around. Glory can just do whatever the fuck she wants. To be fair, we don't know what this key is. Maybe it's not good to protect the key. Sure, yeah. I mean, the monks seem like cool dudes. Not cool. They definitely didn't seem cool, but they seem like good guys. Yeah. They're willing to sacrifice themselves. But we also don't know these monks. They might be bad news. (laughs) Could be. Maybe Glory's cool. Yeah, that's the twist. But I just like the scene a lot because it was just like very tense. Like right now, Glory could just kill Dawn and I don't feel like Glory would give a shit. But Buffy's like, pack a bag, mom, because we're moving into Spike's house. Spike's house. Spike's house. Buffy shows up at Spike's house with Dawn and Joyce asking Spike to babysit them because he's the only one strong enough to protect them. She doesn't say it like that, but she knows that's what he needs to hear to say yes, I think. Yeah, that's what Spike heard, though. Just like that. (laughs) Because he's just like, yep, got it. Anything for you, babe. There's a funny joke where Spike asks Buffy what's wrong. Did they put a chip in your head? It'd be funny if they did. (laughs) It felt improvised. But this is a fun dynamic. Spike enjoys her besties. They could be good roomies. I love them as friends. They're so fun together. They both apparently love passions. Yeah. 
very excited to watch Passions. Dawn is over this situation immediately. Dawn's probably realizing, like, uh, there's no bathroom in this crypt. So what are we supposed to do? Yeah, you told me that's a, a thing people have problems with. I don't know yeah, how what, long they're going to be there. but Right, but, like, it's sort of like, I have to pee. Uh, what do I do? They dig a hole in the graveyard. Yeah, I get, like, pee is something you could probably solve. But there's other issues. So Buffy leaves them. She's going to go to the council meeting. She, by the way, is wearing a coat, like, made out of a bathrobe? What is this? It's like a Yeah, white I know. It's such a weird... She fluff. dresses so nice so often. And then I was like, what the fuck is this? What are you wearing? So it's part two of the review time. The Scoobies are all sitting up in that little balcony of the magic shop that we've seen one time. Their legs dangling down. It's cute. Apparently, Buffy is 20 minutes late. She's rushing there in this town's one alley when she encounters... <laughs> Three dudes in chainmail just spinning swords at her. This kind of shit does not stand out in Sunnydale. No. Typical Allie stuff. She's like, well, good thing I got my oversized robe coat on over my fighting pads. And she just like bites them <laughs> off real quick. Yeah, you've mentioned that before. It's like clearly they have a baggy thing on her so that her double can hide their mm-hmm. pads under it. <laughs> I don't even know if she fell that much. It might just be good to have the double in a coat too since their bodies probably aren't exactly the same. Yeah. Out of all the doubles, hers is, I think, the best at not knowing it's a double. <laughs> I know what you meant, but that sentence is so weird. Her body double is the best at not knowing it's a double. <laughs> her double is, like, the closest looking to her, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Angel's is pretty clear. Spike's is ridiculously clear. Totally different dude. I wouldn't be surprised if Spike and Angel have the same dude in a way. <laughs> Spike's is skinny, man. It's just, like, such a thick-necked boy. Mm-hmm. It's a boy. <laughs> it's a child. Huge, thick neck. She disables all of them. She pulls the mask off one of them and reveals a handsome man with a forehead tattoo. He says he's one soldier in a vast army, the Knights of Byzantium, an ancient order, and now her enemy. She thinks they might work for glory, but they're like, no, no, we don't like her. He admits three of them was not enough to kill Buffy, but if it takes a thousand men, they'll send a thousand men. They don't like that she's protecting the key. And they won't stop until they destroy it and her. This is why I was like, maybe the key's not good. But maybe maybe these dudes are bad. They seem noble. They're knights. I don't know. Let's see what happens. He asks her to kill him, but she doesn't. She just takes his sword and tells him to go. And she's kind of like, cool. Probably gonna have to deal with this later, but not this episode. So she shows up to the review, unfashionably late in that coat, and is like, yeah, there's uh, not gonna be a review. I'm actually gonna do a little speech instead. Um, I'm kind of the shit. I've got a lot of power, and everybody wants it. I'm learning that now. Glory came to visit me in my house and told me she could squash me like a bug, but she didn't, because she needs me. And you guys didn't come here to beg me to come back to the council. You came here to get me to let you back in, because without me, your job's kind of stupid. And one council dude's like, listen, lady. And then Buffy just, like, throws a sword at him. He moves out of the way. It goes into the wall, but, like, she didn't know he would move out of the way. She could have killed dude. She should have. She tells them, here's how it's going to go. They're going to tell her what they know about Glory. They're going to leave. And they're going to contact her when and if they find out anything else about Glory. The magic shop will stay open. They'll reinstate Giles at full salary. He casually coughs to remind her to ask for back pay, which she does, but doesn't ask to be paid herself, which is That is insane, man. Like, it's so, this scene is so great, and, like, her asking for Giles' back pay and stuff is great, but it's like, and also you should be paying women. Uh, I would like to make money. Yes. She probably could have gotten Xander paid. They agreed to this pretty quickly. (laughs) Just imagining them being like, we'll pay Xander, but we won't pay the Slayer. (laughs) 
We only pay men. We've been paying Xander. <laughs> These women are interns. The one we don't allow to speak yet. The other's only here because she demanded to meet Spike. <laughs> but she also asked that her friends are able to help her still. The one woman who's allowed to speak says, you mean these children? And Puffy's like, no, I mean two powerful witches and a thousand-year-old ex-demon. Anya's like, Willow's a demon. That's <laughs> really funny. And Philip's like, well, what about the boy? He's not powerful at all. Puffy's like, yeah, well, he's got more field time than any of you combined, which Xander loves. But basically she's like, you work for me now, right, Quentin? And he says that her terms are acceptable. Giles looks very proud. Quentin demands some scotch. Puffy's like, wait a minute, before we all get drunk with the people we hate, what's the deal with Glory? What kind of demon is she? Can you give me a little bit of something, something? Quentin's like, well, she's uh, not a demon. She's a god. Buffy's just like, oh. Well, that's the end. To be fair, it wasn't like that exactly. It was like a pause, and then she's like, oh. I paused. <laughs> but you said, oh, like she was cheery, like, no problem. Kind of. She was a bit like, oh. I thought the oh was a bit more of a, like, surprise, like, oh, like, I don't know how to deal with that. Right. And that's how it ends. Nobody knows anything. Brian, was this a good one? Yeah, this is a good one. We have Glory, like, demonstrating why she's, like, legit a threat. She's not just some, like, I'm a strong thing. She's like, I'm a strong thing who knows exactly where you live, and I will kill your family. And I can, and there's nothing you can do about it. We also have the Watchers doing their, like, patriarchal bullshit, and Buffy, you know, before Buffy's rebuffed them a little bit, but, like, in this one, she's all like, no, fuck you. I'm in charge. And, like, just tells them how it is. That speech is great at the end. It's very empowering. Also, Buffy and Giles' relationship gets a moment of sunshine, which was awesome. I just love any time that they are, like, address their fatherly-daughterly feelings for each other. Also, Anya is funny this whole episode. The fight scene with the knights is whatever. It was, like, one of those fight scenes that, like, we need this. But it is. it also introduced the knights, like, what the hell's happening going on? What's going on? And they seem to know something about Glory. And like you said, there's also this element of, like, is the key evil? Like, what's going on with that? There's, like, all these new questions. But we finally get the answer. What glory is, it says God, which sounds like, well, that doesn't sound like an easy problem to solve. Yeah, how does one kill a God? Centaur blood. But at least they have somewhere to go off of now. Um, so, yeah, it was a good episode. I liked it a lot. How did you feel about it? It was good. It was funny. Anya was funny. Buffy's speech was good. I liked the glory scene a lot. I love that Joyce and Spike are hanging out. Oh, for, yes. that's so They're so good together. I'm sure we'll see more of that dynamic. And we've seen it before, like, in season two, where he, like, teams up with Buffy, and she is like, do I remember? And he was like, oh, yeah, you hit me in the head with an axe one time. Liam Coco. Yeah. But yeah, I thought it was good. It was a good double feature. Yeah. So, Stacy, which one do you think was better? I think Gilmore Girls. Mm-hmm. I think it was just a really, really good Gilmore Girls. Like, it mm-hmm. was packed with really funny stuff and had some really pow moments. Mm-hmm. So did Buffy. Had some pow moments. But, I don't know, there was maybe more moments of it I wasn't as interested in. Or I'm torn. Not interested, but I don't know. I just don't think it was as packed with goodness. Mm-hmm. Even though it had a lot of goodness. Like, watching the council be mean to Buffy is a lot of it. Which rubbed her to do the awesome ending. But that wasn't, like, enjoyable, necessarily. I feel like it's enjoyable only because you, like, know they're going to get their comeuppance. Do you know what I mean? It mm-hmm. wouldn't be enjoyable if you're like, they're just going to be mean to her forever and they win. You know, and you're like, you're going to get what you deserve. I just know you will. Yeah. I'm personally torn because Gilmore was great. Gilmore, I, I did feel like Richard driving his car into Emily's was like kind of a lot. And I have issues with Zach as a character in general. But Gilmore was just like consistently very funny. I mean, Gilmore just had some just like mic dropping hilarious moments like that kid at the table. 
So I think I have to give it to Gilmore. But I, I do think this is a really good Buffy, and I feel bad not giving it to Buffy because I do think this is a really good one. Uh, and that last scene where Buffy's like telling the counselor what's up, I feel like is such a strong, cool scene. And, and I don't know that Gilmore really has anything like that in it, but Gilmore is just so funny the entire time. She told Christopher what was up. They both yeah, the, end with a strong female powerful speech being like, here's how it's going to go. <laughs> yeah, except one's a good female and one's an evil one. Yeah. Emily's complicated. I don't know if she's evil. She thinks she's doing the right thing. <sighs> yeah, I'm going to give it to Gilmore, but almost under protest because it was. I really enjoy this Buffy. I hear you. It's t- I've been there where it's like, but this is a good Gilmore. Why Buffy get it? But we both love both shows and this Buffy's better than a lot of Buffy's probably. It is, but it just it was a really strong Gilmore. Except that I just don't like Zach. Like, that's the part that's, like, tipping me to be like, I don't like the way Zach. But all that stuff at the Korean New Year was so funny. Mm-hmm. The idea of her and Zach bonding over something is funny, but the specificity of it was not. Yeah. Again, if they were bonding over something she did that was, like, objectively shitty. I mean, even something that's, like, a flaw that, like, her cooking is terrible. They could have, like, been like, oh, my God, her cooking is the worst. Yeah, because, like, Mrs. Kim came out to yell at her for not helping with the dishes. So maybe it is something like that. Like, yeah, Lane never does help with the dishes or whatever. I mean, that's still kind of, like, controlling what a woman should and shouldn't do. But it's a little different. Like, maybe Lane should be helping with the dishes. Okay, so, yeah, I'm going to have to go to Gilmore. I don't want to. I'm sorry, Buffy. You know I love you, girl. But I got to go Gilmore this time. That speech is great. It was a good Buffy. I don't feel great about this either. But my my insides tell me the answer is Gilmore. Yeah, I mean, we just got to be honest. If it's Gilmore... Well, if you guys want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 5, Episode 13, Blood Ties. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 5, Episode 13, Wedding Bell Blues. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. What do you think about all the stuff we said about Zach and Lane? Do you think it's weird that he's, like, bonding with Lane's mother over Lane having to wear glasses? Or do you think we're overreacting? How many of these chainmail dudes do you think it would take to kill Buffy? It's a good question. Oh, 30? I don't know if we'll get an answer. Maybe we will. What do you think Spike's intentions were behind giving them bad answers with Buffy? (laughs) What'd you guys think about Logan's not inviting Rory? Do you think it was intentional manipulation? Or do you think it was just she assumed too hard that she was going to be invited? Oh, yeah. What was up with that? Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacey with an E-Y. For more bonus content, you can find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash brianandstacey, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties, post monthly outtakes from the podcast, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to our new Patreon subscribers, Kay Ross, Ryan, and Dale Tucker. Thanks, guys. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacey. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. Stacy. What? I don't want to go back to the pool house. Come home. Okay. Yeah, we also don't have a pool house. We'll never have a pool house. No. No, 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 no. No, 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 no,